Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity that I have to share this morning. I pray that your word would speak for itself. You know that I am unworthy uh, to be speaking to your people, God. But I pray that as we open our hearts, that you would, you would speak. You would send your Holy Spirit. You know how desperately we need it. In your name I pray, amen. So this morning, I'm just going to be sharing little bits and pieces of my personal testimony as well as sharing what I believe God wants to be doing through us now in these times as we prepare not only for the second coming and the trials that are coming upon this world, but for a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit that the Bible promises is going to come in these days that we're living in. So I told David that I would give him a few minutes before I turn to our first Bible verse. So if it's not on the screen... Pull out your Bibles. We're going to be using them today. Turn to the book of Acts. And I love this story of Pentecost at the beginning of the Christian church because I just think it's so inspiring how everyone was united and on the same page together. Um, Acts 2, verses 14 through 21. And just a little bit about the backstory, because we're not going to read the whole thing. But um, Jesus had told his disciples, wait in Jerusalem until I send you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so they were waiting in Jerusalem um, because without the Holy Spirit, they they weren't going to be able to witness to the whole world. And that's what he had told them. Go wait for the Holy Spirit, and then you'll be witnesses into the entire earth. So they had been waiting in the upper room. They'd been praying together. And on the day of Pentecost, a mighty wind rushes into town, fills the whole house, and tongues of fire appear on the heads of the disciples. And you know, I used to think that this wind was like a ooh, ooh, like just a little wind that comes through. But this was actually a very loud wind because we know that it got the curiosity of the whole city. So the whole city comes together, and they don't see a tornado or a hurricane or whatever they were expecting to see, but they see the 11 disciples there preaching the word of God in their own language because these people were from all over. They were from this part of the world and that part of the world, and they spoke different languages. And when they arrived, here's the 11 disciples, and they understand in their own tongues because that's something that the Holy Spirit had given them was that ability And I believe whenever the Holy Spirit is at work, the devil's going to try to cast a stain on it. And there were some people who thought, you know, these guys, they're drunk. You know, they've taken some pills. Something is up. Um, But here we see in Acts 2 that Peter stands up boldly. And he says, guys, we're not drunk. This is what we're doing. So it says in uh, verses 14 through 21, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So he's saying, we're not drunk, we're fulfilling prophecy. So he goes back to Joel, and he says what it says in Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, 
And your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And it goes on to say that there'll be wonders in heaven and on the earth. And the last sentence in verse 21 says, And it shall come to pass that whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we see Peter referring us back to a prophecy in Joel, saying, Today this prophecy is fulfilled. But I want us to go to Joel because I truly believe that this isn't just a one fulfillment prophecy, that this is a dual fulfillment, and we um, can look forward to an outpouring of the Holy Spirit again. So let's go to there. Let's go to Joel. Joel is in the Old Testament. It's a little book that's kind of hard to find. Um, We're going to go to chapter 2, and this is the chapter that Peter was actually quoting from. So he's telling them, we're fulfilling prophecy, and in verse 28 there, you can see of the exact words that he used. It says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. But the verse that I want to look at is Joel chapter 2, verse 23. Joel chapter 2, verse 23. Because I see that uh, this is actually a dual fulfillment. So let's read it. It says, be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former reign faithfully, And he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. So you see how there's a former rain and then there's a latter rain, right? But what I really like is kind of how Joel says it there. He says, he has given you the former rain faithfully. And he's kind of staying there in the middle and he says, and he will cause. Do you see how he says that? He says, he has given it and he will cause. So Joel's kind of standing there saying There's two fulfillments of this. He's given it faithfully, and he will give it faithfully. Uh, One of my favorite Christian authors, Ellen White, actually backs up the Bible. In her book, The Great Controversy, she says, The great work of the gospel is not to close with less manifestation of the power of God than marked its opening. The prophecies that we just read about, the prophecies which were fulfilled at the outpouring of the former reign at the opening of the gospel are again to be fulfilled in the latter reign at its close. So here we are, and church, I truly believe that we are living in the times when the latter reign is just about to be poured out on God's church and his people. We see it all around us. Um, And I believe that one of the key ingredients for receiving this Holy Spirit is simply to ask for it. Um, I distinctly remember when I was a little girl, I was around five or six years old, and we lived in this big house in the middle of town, and it was four stories, so we had the basement, um, the level where the kitchen and the dining room were, and then my parents' room and my sister's room, and then I had the top floor all to myself. And I loved that attic. I could just run back and forth on it. I felt closer to heaven up there. And I remember one night, it was a starry night. My window was open. I think I was like five or six or something. But I remember saying a prayer. And um, I remember like clear as day because, you see, my parents had actually uh, raised us 
Christian. We, we were in an Adventist home. Um, they had taught me uh, to go to church on Saturdays. And I, I, I had like a Sabbath box that I, only, I was only allowed to play with those toys on Sabbath. And Sabbath was really special to me. And um, we even had devotions in the morning. So my parents would put tape, tapes in the morning, like Janice at- Attic tapes or Your Story Hour, and we would listen to those in the morning. And I loved Jesus with all my little girl heart. I'm really thankful for um, that, that my parents gave that to me. Um, but I remember this prayer that I prayed. I was being so melancholy. I was just like thinking about what life would be like after I was a kid. And um, I remember praying, saying, God, if I ever stray away from you, could you please bring me back? And like, I don't need, maybe I knew like my stubborn heart, like I knew it. So I'm like, I'm probably going to stray away from you. So you'll probably have to bring me back. But um, I genuinely remember uh, that prayer. And I genuinely believe that God answered it. Um, we're going to go to Psalms 2. Psalms 2, verse 8. I love it. I love how God just wants to give us good things. Read it. It says, Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. I feel like God is saying, You can't at, you can't out ask me. You know, ask of me and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. You know, you want, Heidi, you want to win all Templeton to me. You want to win California. You want to win the world. Ask of me. I will give you all the nations for your inheritance. And sometimes we're so feeble in our requests, right? We're like, God, eh, maybe I could witness to like one person this year, you know, or something like that. And God's like, ask of me. I'm going to give it to you. Um, so when it comes to the latter rain and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, uh, like I said before, I simply believe that God is just waiting for us to ask for it. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Zechariah 10 verse 1. Because here we see in Psalms that God is intent on giving us big things and we need to ask for it, right? And in Zechariah 10 verse 1, we see him specifically telling us to ask for something. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. King James is on the screen, and that's fine. It says, Ask the Lord for rain when? In the time of the latter rain, the Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. So why do you think that God wants us to ask for rain in the time of the latter rain? You can think about it. Think about it. In the summertime here in California, we're in a drought, but are we like on our knees, like begging God for rain in the middle of the summer? I mean, it's supposed to be dry, right? Like it's the summertime. If it doesn't rain for a few weeks, it's not like the end of the world because that's, that's when it's supposed to be dry. But what if it's like October, November, December, January, March, April, and it still hasn't rained? Like those are the months that it's supposed to be raining, right? 
but it's not raining. So God is saying like, hey, in the months where it's supposed to be raining, make sure you're praying for rain because that's when it's going to fall. And if it doesn't fall then, well, I mean the summer, that's when it's dry. So God is saying, ask for rain in the time of the latter rain. And how, how do I, why do I believe that we are living in the time of the latter rain? Um, well, even if you look at Matthew 24, and Matthew 24, for those who don't know, is a whole chapter of signs of Jesus' second coming and just showing, like, you know that you're close when. You know that Jesus is at the door when. You see rumors of wars. You see families turning against each other. Um, and if you read through the whole chapter, literally every single sign has been fulfilled except one. Do you know what that is? It's in verse 15, I believe it says. It says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end shall come. And so we see all these signs being fulfilled, but then we see one sign that still hasn't like just fully gone forth. But do you know what we need in order for that sign to be fulfilled? We need the Holy Spirit. We need the latter rain. So everything's been fulfilled. We just need to preach the gospel to the whole nations, And here we are, we're waiting, we're like, God, it's the time of the latter rain. Why aren't we praying for it? Um, I think Romans agrees with me. Romans 13, verse 11 through 12, this is the verse that I use to motivate me to wake up in the morning. It says, and that, knowing that the time that is now, it is high time to awake out of sleep. And when I'm laying in bed, I'm like, it is high time to awake out of sleep, Heidi. (laughs) Knowing that the time it is high to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. You know, it's interesting because... In my early teen years, I didn't ask God for things. Like, I didn't really believe that he wanted to give them to me. Um, I kind of saw God as this God that was withholding good gifts. Like, the reason why I needed to ask was because he just wanted it all for himself. And so I needed to, like, ask for it, and then maybe he would give it to me. But I've the last few years, I've actually come to understand God's character a lot better. um, And I realized that he's just dying to give us good gifts. Um, turn to um, Matthew 7, verse 11. I hope you don't mind turning to your Bibles. Um, but in Matthew 7, verse 11, it says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father, shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good gifts to them that ask him? Now, okay, so when my sister and I were kids, for Christmas time, we really didn't care about the quality of gifts that we got. We just wanted a lot. Like, we wanted a lot of gifts underneath the tree. And so we would kind of, like, try to outgive each other. So, like, we would go around and see, like, who had given the most gifts. And, I mean, we didn't have money. We bought a few things. But I remember this one year, my sister, 
Um, so my dad, he likes this vineyard in Oregon. They're actually an Adventist vineyard that um, does grape juice. And John and Aideen can tell you more stories about this vineyard. Um, but on special occasions, they, uh, my family will just have this awesome grape juice from this, ad, from this, from this Christian orchard in, in Oregon that only does like non-alcoholic grape juice. And so Thanksgiving, birthdays, we'd always have this stuff. And my sister would clean out the, the, the bottles and take it to her closet. And she soon had this collection of empty grape juice bottles. And lo and behold, that year for Christmas, I got a big box. And I opened it, and Kayla, out of the generosity of her heart, had given me her wine bottle collection for Christmas. Um, another year, another year, I wanted to give Kayla a lot of gifts. So I went into her bedroom and I opened up her sock drawer and I put all her socks in my little bag and I went into my room and I wrapped them up individually and I put them underneath the tree so that on Christmas morning she could un- individually wrap all the socks that she'd been missing for the last week. So I don't know how empty grape juice bottles or your own socks count on the good gifts scale, but he- you just see how like eager we were to like give gifts to each other. And Jesus is saying, how much more do I want to give good gifts? Like not just things that you're not going to use, but like things that are good for you eternally. It's interesting because this exact verse is used in another gospel, in the gospel of Luke. So why don't we turn there? Luke 11 verse 13. It's the exact same verse, but there's a little difference, and so I'm going to see if you can catch it. It says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give what? The Holy Spirit to them that ask him. So here in Luke's account, we see that God not only wants to generally give us good things, but he specifically is wanting us to ask for the Holy Spirit because he's just dying to give it to us. Like, I think of like the girl who's been waiting for her boyfriend to ask her to marry her for like the longest time, and he's just shy and scared. I mean, I've never experienced this. Maybe one day I will. But like... um, Like, you know, like, she's just like, why won't he ask? Like, I'm going to say yes. And he's just, you know, scared or I'm not sure what it is. But you you see that eagerness, like like God is saying, I'm going to say yes. Just get down on your knees and ask. So uh, we see how asking is a condition of receiving. And I've often thought, like, why? Because the promise was given to the disciples that you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And so why didn't they just go to the upper room and have, like, tea and play games together instead of praying? I mean, it was going to come, right? Like, it was promised. But it's interesting how prayer was a condition of receiving the Holy Spirit. So why aren't we doing it? There's two reasons that I, that I think it is. I think the first reason is maybe we're still afraid that God's going to say no, or we're worried about what might be required of us, if he actually said yes. Um, I know the feeling of honestly not wanting God to do something in my life because of what I knew it would require of me. Um, But I can honestly tell you that 
Um, when God asks you to do something and you let go of it or you step out in faith, there's only a sweet experience uh, waiting for you. Um, in high school, I won't go into detail, but let's just say that I, all, I wasn't always the girl that was giving Bible studies and knocking on doors in her free time. Um, in high school, especially the first two years of it, I actually wasn't interested in spiritual things at all. Um, I, devotions had kind of stopped at the tapes, at the tape stage, and that stopped when I was young. And, you know, church wasn't, wasn't, you know, that, that cool for me anymore. I went to high school, and my sole purpose was to fit in and have friends and uh, be popular. And my first year of high school was awful because, I mean, I, I was just trying to fill the world with a, fill the world, fill the world into my heart, and it wasn't working. Um, I got a boyfriend just to be cool. I, you know, I, it, it just wasn't working out. I, I, I really had a hard time that first year because I wanted to fit in so badly, but then I wasn't, you know? Um, and so the second year of high school, I decided that things were going to be different. And so I got a whole new set of friends. I had the same boy. Um, and I went to church. I went to church because, I mean, I did have a profession of godliness. Inside, I was denying the power of it. But I went to church to, sh- you know, show off the new clothes that I had gotten and listen to cool music and hang out with my friends. But, um, okay, you're going to have to understand me when I say this. Um, and if you don't understand me, uh, take it with a grain of salt. But I honestly believe that we were made as addictive creatures. Um, to be addicted to God and to the word and to the, f- the fullness that he fills us with and just keep going back to the fountain of life for more and more and more. Like, I believe that's how we were made. And when that is not when you're not filling that part of your life with God, I think it's just natural for us to become addicted to other things in this world. And I was no exception. And so I distinctly remember the day that I came home and I told my mom that I was going to dye my hair pink and pierce my belly button. And um, (laughs) let's just say that didn't go over too well. Um, You know, I'm really not one to judge like those who who choose that kind of um, appearance. But I know for me, it was just um, an expression of the of the emptiness that I felt and the things that I was trying to fill that with. Um, Yeah. So this was the day that my parents told me that they thought it was best for me to change my learning environment. And they brought up um, a school that you might have heard the name of, Weimar. Have you ever heard that name of that school? Um, it's a great place, but for me, living in Canada, having, loving my friends, embracing the lifestyle that I was living in, that was like a swear word. And so my parents, um, I don't know how they swung it, but I actually ended up going to Weimar the next year on my own terms. Because I told the mom and dad, you can't force me to go. And so I was like, okay, they're not going to force me. Let me just go see. Took a trip out. Decided I would give it a try because I kind of wanted to get away from my parents anyways. Um, and so I decided to give this school a try. 
And uh, needless to say, I got in a lot of trouble that first year. I was always hiding things in my room and, you know, doing things that I wasn't supposed to be doing, pushing the rules. And I believe that it's only by the mercy of God that I wasn't expelled that year. But his mercy is great. And I know that um, me leaving that environment would have done a lot more harm than good. And so he kept me there for a reason. I remember uh, the first time that I actually sat down and spent time with the Bible. It was on a school camp out, and the teachers had this amazing idea of giving the kids for, for Sabbath school that morning 90 minutes alone with their Bible on the lake. And I remember like being like, is this kind of some kind of joke? Like, I felt like I had been set up on a blind date that was really awkward. Like, here I am supposed to go spend 90 minutes alone with a God that I don't know. And I remember sitting there, just the lake and me, Bible, and thinking, God, I know you know me, but I don't know you. And it was that moment. I also had a book, Steps to Christ, and I read the first chapter. Um, I remember I just opened up my Bible. I was like, okay. I'm supposed to read. So I opened up my Bible, and um, I came to Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes was the first book that I actually read in the Bible. And it's kind of sweet. This morning I decided to go back and kind of read the verses that I had highlighted. And this is the same Bible, actually. And for some, somehow the verses in Ecclesiastes, I, I, my proud heart could relate to them. Like, at the time, I thought Weimar was a horrid place. So when it said, like, the end of a thing is better than the beginning, I was like, praise the Lord, it's going to end okay. And then um, things like, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Those verses kind of stuck to my heart. And I wasn't using them in the way that I'm sure that they were intended to be used. But God kind of said, like, I'm willing to work with you, Heidi. Like, let's just start where you are. And little by little, I started opening up my heart to God and giving him a chance. Um, Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Speaking again, it says, Repent, therefore, And be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So here we see that repentance and conversion come before this refreshing time that God has promised us. And I share a little bit of my own testimony just to show you the work that God has done in my own heart um, from that time. Um, And... There's actually, I want to um, share not my own story anymore specifically, but one of my favorite Bible characters is by, the, is by the name of Peter. And I believe Peter experienced the experience of repentance so that he could experience the experience of Pentecost. If you know Peter's story, I actually uh, dearly relate with Peter, but I just want to share with you his story a little bit. In Luke 22, verse 54, it starts, Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. 
Now, when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a servant girl, a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied them, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after an hour had passed, another confidently confirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. I can just imagine that really intense moment when the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And I can just imagine the look on his face. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. I honestly think that Peter's story is really encouraging. One of the most encouraging uh, stories to me personally, because think about it, like, You mean you can be a disciple of Jesus for three and a half years and still mess up? You know, like this guy, he had been with Jesus through all of his miracles, and he had still made a grievous mistake that night. Uh, There was actually another disciple that messed up that night, but his story ends a lot differently. Uh, And it's interesting, I believe that the different reactions between Judas's, how Judas dealt with his sin and how Peter dealt with his sin teach us a lot about the difference between genuine and ungenuine repentance. I hope you follow. But um, Peter had a lot of remorse for what he had done. But in Romans 2 verse 4, it says that the goodness of God leads to repentance. Right? And so um, the Bible says this, and also Spirit of Prophecy says that the thing that broke Peter's heart was when Jesus turned and looked at him because there was this feeling, uh, there was this, this look of forgiveness and love and mercy on, on Jesus' face. It wasn't condemnation. It wasn't like, oh, Peter, why? It was like, Ugh, I know you just sinned like really tough and you just like, like you, you just denied me. You just said you didn't even know me. You're like my best friend. But it wasn't condemnation. It was love and mercy. And I know that that broke Jesus, Peter's heart. And he went out and wept bitterly. Um, and it's interesting because Peter, he didn't commit a small sin that night. But it was only, it was just the Peter had, that had been there all along. You know, Peter all throughout Jesus' ministry had been proud and boastful and, you know, hanging out with Jesus and being with him hadn't really changed his heart. It was because Peter, he needed a, a genuine experience with Jesus. He needed a forgiveness moment. He needed to see Jesus's character personally for himself. And that is when his life was changed Um, He wept that night, and he never returned to the old Peter that he used to be. Uh, There was another man, though, like I've mentioned, Judas. Uh, Did you know that he actually repented too? Well, in word at least. In Matthew 27, verse 3 and 6, it says, Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful 
and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. He's like, I don't want this money anymore. Like, what, what's going on? The plan failed. Like, I'm sorry. And they're through, he's throwing the money down. And the priests say, um, what is that to us? You see to it. And then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hung himself. And it's interesting because I believe that there's a test of temptation before sin. And then I also think that there's a test of repentance after sin. So like if you have fallen into sin and you just think that's it, that's done. I, you know, I've sinned. I better just go and, you know, not follow the Lord anymore. Just spiral down towards the grave. Like that itself is a test because God wants to bring you back again in Proverbs 24, verse 16, it says, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. So Peter sinned that night, and he got back up. Judas sinned, and he didn't. And I think genuine repentance, it turns us from our old ways and uh, helps us get back up, while ungenuine repentance just brings us closer to the grave. Um, Jesus knew that this was going to happen, and he knew the powerful man that Peter was going to be long-term after his conversion experience. Because remember, who was it that stood up boldly at Pentecost? It was Peter. It was Peter who stood up there and said, Look, it's the prophecies of Joel that are being fulfilled. And, and thousands were converted in a day. And if you look through all the Bible, the story after story, Peter is healing. He's working for God. What if he had let his sin define him? What if he had let his sin define who he was? And Jesus knew the battle that was going to go on in Peter's mind that night. Am I going to get back up? Am I going to repent? Am I going to leave this behind me and move on? Or am I going to end up like Judas? I'm sure those thoughts crossed his mind. Um, And Jesus spoke some very encouraging words to Peter that um, I believe he speaks to all of us. Luke 22, verse 31 through 32. Luke 22, 31 through 32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Peter, Peter, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So don't be deceived, you know. I, I believe that Satan has asked for our souls too. And he's, he's, he's said, look, Satan has desired to have us. You know, we could live in our past. We could live in our sins in our past. But he's like, no, when you have been converted, return to me and strengthen your brethren. It's not like, oh, you just leave your sin and keep living. It's like, no, once you are converted, once you repent, you now have a job description to work for me. And I believe that God wants to use us even after our failures, just like he used Peter at Pentecost after his failure. And, but it wasn't until, I don't believe that he would have been able to use Peter the way he did at Pentecost if he hadn't left that old, proud Peter behind him. And so uh, we see that when we're looking 
for the Holy Spirit and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we not only need to ask for it on our needs, but we also need to leave the things of the past behind us, the old Peter's behind. Um, I still remember the day I had just finished my second summer canvassing, and I was sitting at the iShare Center in Ontario, California, and so it was just, I had just finished two years of, of, of canvassing, and I forget who was speaking. I think it was Anil or Michael Tuazon or something, but they made the appeal at the end of the night, and I was sitting in one of the back pews, and they said, if you are here tonight and you want to commit your life to full-time ministry, I want you to stand and come forward. And I remember standing and walking forward, and my mind was screaming the whole time, like, Heidi, what in the world did you just sign up for? Like, two summers of canvassing is great. You're going to a Bible college next year, but do you really want to put your life on the line like that? Do you really want to, to say, God, I'm going to serve you in full-time ministry? Like, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen the next year, the next two years, And friends, I made that decision that day, and I made that decision this morning. And it's true, like, God's yoke, it's it's easy. His burden is light. I believe that when we put our hand to the plow, God doesn't want us to look back, even when we make mistakes in life. Um, And I'm not sure who first stated this, but a friend once told me, Heidi, the Holy Spirit only hits a moving target. And I don't know if you follow that, but he he was basically saying, like, the Holy Spirit comes to those who need him. And those who need him are those who are actively working in service for him or actively living their lives for Christ. Because think about it. What is the point of the latter rain? In Acts 1 verse 8, it says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So he said the whole, po- the whole point of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was so that they could receive power to take the gospel to the end of the earth. And so um, it, it's interesting because my dad is a farmer, and um, I told him that I was going to be talking about you know, the Holy Spirit and, and the latter rain and, and the events that are happening and my own personal testimony. And I was like, Dad, you're a farmer. Is there anything that you could tell me about, um, like, what it's like with the harvest and the latter rain and everything? He's like, Heidi, it's simple. The, uh, the latter rain is to bring in the harvest. But before that, the farmer isn't just sitting around waiting. The farmer has to plant seeds. The farmer has to take care of the seeds that are growing. And then the rain comes, and then the harvest is ready. So the whole point of the harvest is to, is to the whole point of the latter rain is to harvest, not a physical harvest, but, you know, souls coming into the kingdom. But what happens if we haven't even planted the seeds? What happens if we haven't taken care of the plants that God has already given us? Then there's no point of a harvest. And sometimes I think we misunderstand when Jesus says, oh, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Rain comes. When we go around our lives thinking, oh, wait. I mean, 
obviously I can't really do anything until the Holy Spirit comes because, um, I mean, I need the Holy Spirit, right? And I can't do anything until that point. But uh, Spirit of Prophecy, um, in the book Acts of the Apostles, because the thing is, I actually used to think like that too. I'm not saying like, oh, that's what we think. I'm, I'm saying that out of experience. Like, I truly believed, like, I would just go around life as normal, and then one day the Holy Spirit would fall, and then I would be ready to go out and preach the gospel to the world. She says in Acts of the Apostles, unless the members of God's church today have a living connection with the source of all spiritual growth, they will not be ready for the time of reaping. Unless they keep their lamps trimmed and burning, they will fail of receiving added grace in times of special need. Those only who are constantly receiving fresh supplies of grace will have power proportionate to their daily need and their ability to use that power. Listen, she says, instead of looking forward to some future time when through a special empowerment of spiritual power, they will receive a miraculous fitting up for soul winning, they are yielding themselves to God that he may make them vessels meet for his use. Daily, they are improving the opportunities for service that lie within their reach. Daily, they are witnessing for the master wherever they may be whether in some humble sphere of labor, in the home, or in a public field of usefulness. So my question to you today is, do we understand the times that we're living in? Do we understand just a little bit of the mighty things that God wants to do through us when we ask? Do we, do we understand the things that God wants to do in us, through us? Do we understand our need, the fact that it's coming so soon. Um, but since we are living in the times of the latter rain, God has encouraged us, number one, to pray. Pray for rain in the times of the latter rain. I think it's so clear the times that we're living in, and now is the time to pray. And it's also not only the time to ask, but it's the time to repent. It's a time, like Peter, to turn from our old, our old ways and leave that behind us so that in the Pentecost experience, we can be the new people, the new men and women that God calls us to be. And thirdly, it's a time to be working. It's a time to be planting. It's a time to be serving um, in the little fields, in the big ways. The things that God has in store are just immense. Um, so... It's a simple appeal, and I believe that God has, you know, spoken to each one of us differently in the last few minutes that I've been sharing. And so I just want to ask, is there something that you could do today to plant seeds for Christ? Is there something that God has been calling you to do, but you've just kind of been nervous about what asking for the Holy Spirit and actually going all in might require of you? Um, Pray about it. Pray about who, who it is, what it is. What does God want uh, me to give up in my own personal life? Is there someone that he wants me to reach out to? How can I reflect his character more beautifully to the people around me? Um, is, it, is it joining the FM 101 class that's happening this evening? Is it going on Bible studies? If it's not, is it, is it taking care of you know, your neighbor's kids? I don't, I don't know. I believe God has spoken a different story to each one of us. Um, but I just want us, as we pray and close, to ask God what it is and then surrender.
and let him make our lives his testimony because I can let you know that um, in high school, I definitely wouldn't have thought that I would be standing here today, um, but I pray that if anything, you would just know that giving your life 100% to Christ is 100% worth it. Why don't we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, I ask for your blessing on these words. I pray that um, you will convict our hearts of what it is that you want us to do for you. We know the times we're living in. We know that the Holy Spirit again is going to come like it did in Pentecost. And God, we want to be ready. We want to plant seeds now so that they can ripen for the harvest. I pray that um, as we come to you and we surrender what it is on our hearts, what is keeping us away from that full-fledged commitment, Uh, I pray that like Peter, our hearts would be changed and that we would no longer be the um, unbold, wayward man or person that we used to be. God, I pray that you'll continue to change me, continue to write my story, and I pray that we will see you come soon. In your name I pray, amen.